0: Hi I'm Stuart Spinks and welcome to episode 102 of my podcast Beekeeping Short and Sweet. The weather has been fairly constant this past week and I had a message from one of our contacts saying their oilseed rape is nearly ready for the bees. It's time to get set up for the new season but don't be in too much of a rush to open your bees, it's still cold out there. keeping short and sweet a beekeeping podcast for the inquisitive beekeeper with a short attention span a beekeeper in fact just like me i'm grateful to Honeypour hives for sponsoring in part our podcast for this season honeypoor hives as i'm sure you're aware are poly langstroth hives and we're setting up an apiary full of their hives this season courtesy of Honeypour. check out their range of hives and other equipment on their website and I'll leave links to all of the websites in the show notes as usual. poor Hives, designed by beekeepers for beekeepers. Well, I never did get to Bee Tradex, and I'm kind of glad that I chose not to go. It seems that it was a good event, despite the reduced attendance, but I guess a lot of beekeepers took the same decision that I did in staying away. We've now been told that the second major event of the year has been cancelled, That's the BBKA Spring Convention in April, and it's usually a really good weekend with lots of talks and lectures, hands on sessions, and of course the trade show. Lots of suppliers now seem to be offering show discounts online, so if you have pre ordered or were thinking of buying some new kit, check out your retailer of choice and see what they're offering. There's always bargains to be had, and I'm sure they will want to mitigate their losses by offering some really good deals online. Sign up for newsletters and special offers to make sure that you get notified, although I don't think any of them are selling toilet paper at the moment. Not going to the trade show meant I had time to get a few more plans sorted. I love lists. You can never have too many lists. Jobs that need to be done, kit that needs to be moved, bees that need to be checked. We spent Saturday scraping and washing queen excluders. It was another task on the Integrated Pest Management Plan, or IPM, that we have. Keeping kit nice and clean makes it easier to use and reduces the risk of spreading pests and diseases to all of your bees. Cleaning queen excluders can be a bit of a chore, but once done, they can clean up really well, and it also helps extend the life of them too. In previous years, I've scraped and scorched. The technique involves scraping off all of the wax and as much propolis as possible and then using a blowtorch to bubble up the remaining propolis to kill anything that might be lurking in it. This year I wanted to try using the oil drum to boil them clean and it worked really well. The key once again is keeping the water at near boiling point and adding a decent amount of washing soda and washing up liquid. It has the effect of dissolving the propolis and they clean really quickly. I think we ended up with around 70 or 80 queen excluders cleaned That should be enough to get us through the spring and into the summer period. The plan is to move everything currently in nukes into full-size hives at the earliest opportunity and then get those nuke boxes cleaned up and restocked with new frames and foundation. Always cleaning, it seems. I had a message from one of the farm managers who runs the largest block of oilseed rape that we're going to be pollinating to say that it was beginning to break bud meaning that it had started to flower. That's enough to get your brain racing very fast at the sudden thought of moving bees so early, and it is still really early. The variety of oilseed rape is called ambassador, and it's one of the earliest cultivars around, I think. I meant to ask him why they go for such an early flowering crop of oilseed rape, because if there aren't pollinators enough to do a good job, it seems to me that it won't get the pollination coverage it requires. Anyway, having a sudden jolt of, oh my goodness, we're not ready, I drove over to the site in question and had a look for myself. Sure enough, the plants are developing really well, and as with most things in nature, there are some faster-growing larger plants that were just flowering. The majority, I would say, had well-developed flowers but were still quite green, With oilseed rape at the point of flowering the individual flowers start to turn yellow as the petals develop that familiar colour and begin to open. And there were also a fair number of plants that were way behind the bunch and had only really just started developing flowers. These I suspect had been getting too much attention from the pigeons earlier in the winter and had been restricted in growth. So I'm guessing that we have around seven to ten days for the major bud break with more and more plants beginning to open as we move towards that kind of full throttle moment. So I need to get my backside into gear and make sure we have all the equipment needed for a fast start. Each nuke is going to need a full-size hive to go into. That's a clean floor, brood box, six brood frames with foundation, a chrome board and roof. Each of those new hives will also have a feeder and syrup, in order to have enough supplies to get that foundation drawn as fast as possible. Before we get to that stage though, we need to set up stands for all of the hives. This year we're hoping to use Pete's new design for pallet stands, but I think we've run into a bit of a snag with it, so we may be changing that. Whatever happens, we'll post a video, so do check out the video as we get them up and running. I'm really hoping that whatever we end up with, they're secure enough and don't collapse. The biggest issue for me is that I don't want to leave colonies on pallets close to the ground where they get damp and cold. I think that was a major problem for us last year. Once we get the stands in place we can start to move all of our other kit over. Each full-size colony that goes over will have a minimum of three supers or honey boxes and of course a queen excluder. These will be added right at the start. This goes against conventional beekeeping wisdom in that you're generally told to add one super at a time and let the bees fill one before adding a second. The issue with oilseed rape is that when the nectar tap is turned on, it gushes out rather than trickles. Nectar is dumped in the hive wherever it can fit, and this can have the effect of reducing the available space for the queen to lay in, thereby creating an environment where they can potentially swarm. So a minimum of three supers, one of which will be drawn comb. We do have a slightly alternative plan available and that's to use a number of spare brood boxes. We can use them as honey boxes as long as I can get some help lifting them off the hive and the oilseed rape doesn't granulate solid in the comb. The main job here is to get additional brood frames of foundation drawn so we can use them in late May or June to expand any nukes or swarms that we collect. Hopefully making sure we have plenty of space on the hives will at the very least buy us some time to check on the swarmiest colonies, while the less swarmy colonies go about their business gathering pollen and nectar. Talking of pollen, I need to make up the pollen traps for the honeypore langstroth hives. When I last produced some pollen using our existing pollen trap for the langstroths, Paul at Modern Beekeeping had already put it together for me, so I'm not exactly sure how they all fit together. There are some instructions and to be honest it doesn't look too tricky. It's destined to be another video so do watch out for that one. I've never cropped pollen in a commercial way before. We only have a few pollen traps and I've never put my mind to the process. But again this year it's on the list of things to try out. I'm quite interested in the cleaning and drying process. I haven't yet worked out what we're going to do but I think it will all depend on how much pollen we actually collect. If it's just a couple of pounds or thereabouts, I think I might just pick out the debris by hand and freeze it. I did this with the last very small batch of pollen and ended up feeding it back to the colony it came from, which kind of defeated the object of collecting it in the first place. I might just as well have allowed the bees to store it themselves. There are some quite sophisticated and therefore expensive bits of kit out there for processing pollen, none of which I'm familiar with. Well, except for the drying cabinet which seems fairly self-explanatory. I guess there's more research required and if we do get a lot more than a couple of pounds I may have to investigate further. On a completely different topic I've been chatting to an old friend who wants to get back into beekeeping after about five or six years away from it and he's been offered what he's describing as a job lot of equipment including complete national hives, extra supers, an extractor, uncapping tray, heated uncapping knife and lots more. All of the boxes have frames and either comb or foundation in, most of which it seems have been destroyed by wax moth. As an excited repeat offender, he's dead keen to buy it all up and throw bees at it as quickly as possible and I've had to put the brakes on pretty hard for him. When you're either just starting out or getting back into beekeeping, it's really easy to get overexcited and end up buying either way more than you need or, to be honest, getting a load of old kit dumped on you because you're seen as an easy touch. All I would say is please, please, please think about pests and diseases first and foremost before you even start reaching for your banking app. Each and every piece of equipment needs to be thoroughly cleaned and sterilised. Frames need to be cut out, wax rendered And that's all wax. Don't even start to hide the wax foundation so I can't see it. Frames need cleaning, boiling and fitting with new fresh foundation. All of the boxes need scraping and scorching, etc, etc, etc. There's a long list of jobs that need to be done in order to get that equipment ready for you to use. Start as you mean to go on and keep your integrated pest management plans at the front of your mind. So all of you excited first timers out there looking to grab a bargain, slow down, consider what you need and what's on offer and then go into the negotiations with your eyes wide open. Just going back to the oilseed rape situation, of course our bees are still in need of warmer weather to really get out foraging and looking at the forecast we're in for some quite cold nights now. The effect of this is that it will prevent more bees getting out when the daytime temperatures start to increase a little. An ever-expanding brood area means more tiny larvae that need protection from the cold. I've no doubt that many of you will have heard of chilled brood. This is not so much a disease as an outcome of either not enough worker bees to cover all of the brood area or an overexcited beekeeper trying to inspect colonies when the daytime temperature just isn't warm enough. If you imagine taking the roof off your house for a short while and feeling all of that warmth suddenly disappear upwards to replace by much lower temperatures it's not difficult to see that it would take your home heating system some time to get that back up to temperature again. Now imagine that within a honeybee colony and you can see how removing the roof and crime board will have the same effect. But wait I hear you say, the bees will cluster to protect the brood and yes you're right however we're just at one of those critical times of the year when we have ever increasing brood and decreasing worker bees to look after that brood imagine a graph where there are two lines one showing brood and one showing worker bees the worker bees line is dropping and the brood line is rising if your colony reaches critical mass at this point somewhere around the point that the two lines cross or intersect, you'll have more brood than the worker bees can take care of. And if the temperature suddenly drops and the bees cluster, those larvae on the very outside of the brood area could find themselves literally left out in the cold and they will die. You don't always see this in a colony because once the temperatures go back up, the bees will break cluster they'll remove the dead larvae and you won't notice it. My point here is don't be too keen to get into the hive to see what's going on, not even to lift the crime board to take a quick peek. You could do a lot of damage that will go unseen and hold your colony back for several weeks. The other point I wanted to reiterate is feeding. Now is even more crucial particularly if you've already been feeding fondant or a pollen substitute like the apipasta plus that I've been feeding. A growing brood nest needs lots of food and if the bees are working hard to keep everyone warm they can't get out to forage on the cooler days. This is where fondants can really be a big help in maintaining the growth of a colony. I know some beekeepers will feed a light syrup to promote increased egg laying in the queen. The syrup Mimicking a nectar flow, and the bees thinking they have enough food to manage the increased brood. There is a danger, of course, as I've already mentioned, of chilled brood. So I don't use a stimulative feed other than the apipasta plus pollen substitute. Again, some colonies won't take any fondant, syrup, or pollen substitute at all because they simply don't want or need it. But I find that most will take some and some will take as much as you can feed them. This then is my main job right now, making sure the bees have enough supplementary feed to get them through the cooler weather until there are again enough bees to cover the brood area and keep all of the larvae warm and healthy. They will be in prime condition to be taken to the oilseed rape, and that looks like it will happen sometime next week, which is really early for us. I've just recorded a couple of videos showing both the oilseed rape field and the new apiary site for the Honey Poor Hives series of videos. So do catch up with both of those on Patreon or just the Honey Poor Hives video on YouTube. Finally, I hope you're all keeping safe and healthy wherever you are and looking forward to getting out into the fresh air and starting the new beekeeping season. Remember, for those of you who haven't yet entered the competition draw, there's still time head over to my podcast page on my website where you can check out the details for entry. Have a great beekeeping week and please do remember to check out my Patreon page where you can access lots more content. That's www.patreon.com forward slash Norfolk Honey. I'm Stuart Spinks and that was beekeeping short and sweet.